Well, good morning to you again. It's good to have you here with us. Some years ago, um, when I used to watch network TV, I get my news of many sources these days, ABC News had a motto, and I don't know if any of you remember the motto, but it was uniquely qualified to bring you the world. That was their motto. And I don't know what qualified them to say that, but for my title today, I've just taken out one letter and taken this from ABC News, uniquely qualified to bring you the word. We're in the process now as a church of selecting someone to be the next pastor of this body. And of course, one of their most important responsibilities is to bring you the word. But what qualifies them to do that? Now, if you ask many people today, well, what qualifies a person to bring you the word? What might they say? They might say, well, um, they have a sense of the call of God. Nice. Or maybe because this is what we would look for, someone that's been to Bible school or seminary so that they've been trained in the Word of God. It's pretty important. Or, as we might say, as this church or many churches, you're, you're qualified if you've been ordained by some legitimate body that's laid hands on you and set you apart for the gospel ministry. That qualifies you to bring us the Word. Or you might say... You're not qualified to bring you the word unless you have a lot of Bible knowledge. You've got to know the Bible really well. Or you might say you're not qualified to bring us the world unless you have really good people skills. That's what you need. That's what uniquely qualifies to bring you the word. You have to be really good with people. High IQ and high EQ, as we might say today. Or, oh, to bring you the word of God, you've got to be morally excellent you got to live a really good life. If you don't do that, you're not qualified to bring people the Word of God. Or you cannot bring a person the Word of God. You're not qualified unless you have an, an outstanding devotional life. Every day you have your devotions. Every day you're in God's Word. Every day you have a great prayer life. That's what qualifies you to bring the Word of God. Or you might say, oh, you're not qualified to bring people the Word of God unless you have good communication skills. You're skilled in rhetoric. You're skilled in elocution. You're good at telling people things. You can communicate well. That's what it takes to be uniquely qualified to bring you the truth. Or you can say, well, you got to have a certain look. you got to look like a pastor, whatever that looks like. And of course, I know what it looks like today. Go online. Shaved head. Goatee, skinny jeans, and an untucked shirt. <laughs> Check it out. Check it out. It used to be a different, you know. I don't know where the memo comes from, but it comes from somewhere. <laughs> because we all do the same thing, it seems. Except some of us are too old that we don't care anymore. But, um, so, what is it? What is it that qualifies you or qualifies anyone to bring you the word of God? It's a great question. It's not just a good question, it's an incredibly important question for First Baptist Church, because God has put on all of your heads the responsibility of determining whether or not a person is qualified to bring you the Word of God. Now, interestingly, in our text of Scripture today, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about the factors that were involved in God entrusting the ministry of His Word to Paul. 
Paul's going to answer the question for us. However, what he says is going to surprise us. It's not what you think. And our text is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 10 to 20. Now, I used, uh, I said uniquely qualified to bring you the word, but interestingly, the key word in this passage, which you're going to find four times, is the word trust. In verse 10, um, it's going to use the word, in, uh, or in verse 11, rather, the word entrusted. And then in verses, verses 12 and 15, it's going to use the word trustworthy. And then in some translations of the Bible, in fact, the best ones, it's going to use the word entrust in verse 18. So clearly, the, the point of this passage, no question is, to whom does God entrust the ministry of the word? Who would it be? Well, Paul is now going to explain why he was entrusted with this task. And part of our application is we are responsible to choose someone to whom God has entrusted his word. We have to be discerning. And personally, God has entrusted his word to all of us. So we need to see if these same qualities apply to us. So, Let's dig in to this text of Scripture. Start with the part that we left off with last week, verses 10 and 11. Remember last week, the Apostle Paul talked about, toward the end of the portion we did last week, about Paul's says to Timothy, one of your key responsibilities is to combat false teaching. Remember our background? In the church of Ephesus, officially planted by the Apostle Paul on his missionary journey, where he spent three years of his life, the church that is the most important church in the world, at that time, the church that has had the most important persons in the world for all of time. There will never be a church that had more important people in it than the church of Ephesus. It's the most important church in the history of the world in terms of who was there. Remember, Mary's there. John's there, Apollos is there, Priscilla's there, Aquila is there. They're all in this church. It's an incredible church. Maybe not big, but the congregation was incredible in terms of who they were. But the Apostle Paul says, remember, as he's talking to the elders of the church, when I leave, savage wolves are going to come in from the outside to decimate this, this church. There are going to be false teachers who are going to come out from the outside into your church and are going to destroy you. And even inside the church, there are going to be some weasels. Some of you are going to get off on an ego trip. And you're going to want people to follow you rather than to follow Christ. That's a bad choice. But that's what happens. And so Paul warned Timothy that this is going to happen. And Timothy, you are responsible to protect the word of God. It's one of, his most, that's one of a pastor's most important jobs of all. And so this is what he says. This is verse chapter 1, verse 10b and 11. And for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he, here's our word, entrusted to me. Sound doctrine, of course, is doctrine or teaching of the Bible that is in accordance with the teaching of the apostles. The apostles are the ones who wrote the New Testament for us. These are people, for the most part, who had been with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who watched Jesus, who saw Jesus raised from the dead. That's who they were, and they're the ones who wrote Scripture for us. 
There's some like Luke who was not an apostle, but he interviewed the apostles. He interviewed the eyewitnesses. That's what he tells us he did. He's a historian and a physician, interestingly. And so sound teaching is teaching that is in accordance with the people who walked and talked with Jesus themselves. That's what sound teaching is. And he said, this sound teaching, God entrusted to me. And actually, the, 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 um, the wording there in, in Greek is very emphatic. The gospel with which I myself was entrusted. He's pointing to the fact that God entrusted his word to me. Why? Because I'm exhibit A as to how the gospel works. You're not going to find anyone who's a better exhibit of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says, than me. Communicating the gospel, communicating the word of God is a sacred trust given by God to human beings. Now, on the surface, it would seem as if God made a really bad choice. Remember last week's chapter, uh, chapter 1? Remember the false teachers? The Apostle Paul describes for Timothy the false teachers. And here's what they, it said. The false teachers, first of all, in verse 7, they had willingly volunteered. These are people who said, yes, I want to teach. Then they were affirmed by the congregation to teach because they were already the teachers in the church. And the Bible says in verse 4 that they had devoted themselves to preparation and to the teaching of the Word of God. And they did a lot of digging into useless junk, but they did a lot of digging. And apparently they loved to teach about the law. And the Bible says in verse 7 that they were very confident about their abilities to teach the Word of God. That is who the false teachers are. All the traits we like. We want someone to teach who wants to teach, and we want someone to teach who the congregation thinks ought to teach, and we want people to teach who've done a lot of digging and study, and we want people who are confident about their teaching abilities. That's who we want to teach. Why would you pick Paul? He's the worst person you could pick. Let's consider him. First of all, he didn't volunteer. He was drafted. <laughs> Remember what Regina just told us? He was not out saying, oh, I want to follow God. He was out following a false God with a great deal of zeal. So he's not a volunteer. He's, he's a draftee. And by the way, go through the Bible. Most of God's leaders don't want the job. Moses, take Moses. Moses, after a 40-year-old, this great budding leader, one of the best educated people in the whole world at that time, raised in the house of the Pharaoh, he kills somebody, runs for his life, and spends the next 40 years living in a desert as a, as a Bedouin. And then God says, oh, I think at about 80, you're about ready to go. Moses says, me? Uh-uh. Not me. I don't speak very well. I says, I, we can handle that. I, I'll, I'll give you a sidekick. He says, well, uh, blah, blah, blah. they'll never believe me. I mean, they won't listen to me. Who do I tell them sent me? Say, um, uh, God sent you. Oh, yeah, that'll work. And so Moses comes up with objection after objection, and God answers his objections until Moses finally says, hey, God, send somebody else. I don't want to do it. God says, oh, I don't take no for an answer. <laughs> and Moses is drafted. He doesn't volunteer. He doesn't want the job. Consider um, Jeremiah. Jeremiah didn't want his job either. God says, I've, I, I ordained you to be a prophet before you were born. 
I, call, I drafted you before you even got out of your mother's womb. Says, Thanks. What does he get? A lot of persecution, dumped in a pit, mistreated, exiled. And then remember his, what he says in chapter 20. He says, God, this is the lousiest job I've ever seen. Sink him. I hate my job. And so I'm going to quit. He says, but you've done me dirty, God. You, you put a fire in my soul that I have to speak your truth. And that fire is, if I don't do it, I'm going to burn up from the inside. So I guess I'll do what you want me to do. Nuts. Remember Isaiah? Isaiah has an experience where he sees the holiness of God. He says, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. I'm unclean. I'm a man, who's un- and I dwell among people who are unclean. And God says, oh, that's okay. I can cleanse you. And he touches his lips. And then God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, okay, I'll go. I'll go. And God says, oh, thank you, Isaiah. Here's your job. I want you to go to people who are never going to listen to you because I've closed their ears. And Isaiah goes, what? How long am I supposed to do that? And God says, oh, until you die. Have a nice life. That's Isaiah. You see, God isn't into volunteers. He's into people that he wants to do his work. Of course, we have to be involved in that as well. But you see, Paul was entrusted with this job, even though he was drafted. God got him kicking and screaming. And so now God calls him to be a leader in the church to bring people God's word. And who does he, what does the church think of him? They don't trust him. No one, they shun him. Because they know what his past is, and they think he's an infiltrator. He's an imposter. He's a spy. He's a double agent. That's what they think for years. And then he talks about his message. He says, oh, my message that we preach in our churches is so wonderful. It's so culturally relevant. Everyone's going to love to hear it. Wrong. He says, you know what our message is? To those who are highly intellectual, it's foolishness. And to people who are into great, big, spectacular things, it's powerless. But we preach Jesus Christ crucified. That's our power. And then you might ask, well, well, at least God picks people who are smart, intelligent, good people, doesn't he? Look what Paul said. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise. By human standards, not many are influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So if you think God calls into his ministry the smartest, the strongest, you're wrong. He chooses, he takes a foolish message and he puts it in the mouth of fools. Well, at least these fools are Good speakers, aren't they? <laughs> this is what Paul says next. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I came to you, Paul says, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing about while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great trembling and fear. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but might rest on God's power. It's the exact opposite of the false teachers in the church. Paul says, I I didn't volunteer for this job. I got coerced. No, then no one trusted me. And I preach a message that's really focused on just a a man who died on a cross as a criminal. And I'm, 
most of us aren't the, 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 the cultural elites. Very few are. And besides, we're not always that good at what we do. Martin, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a famous um, pastor. And he wrote uh, an article, or, or he wrote, uh, someone else wrote an article and, about what he said, and it's called The Six Distinguishing Marks of a Call of Gospel Ministry. Keep these in mind. Number one. Well, this is not number one. He says in his background, he says, remember, preachers are, he says, preachers are born. They're not made. That sounds crazy. Number one, there must be an inner compulsion within one called to preach the word. There's an inner compulsion. Number two, there will be an outside influence that will come to the one called. The input and counsel of other believers becomes influential to the one destined for ministry. Other people will notice it. Number three, the one called to experience will have a loving concern for others. God gives to the one chosen to preach an overwhelming compassion for people. It's essential. Number four, this one's my favorite. There is an overwhelming constraint within the one called to do this work. He maintained that there will be a sense of constraint, meaning that he feels hemmed in to do this work. It is as though God will not let him be released from his duty to preach. That was Jeremiah. Number five, the man who is called to preach comes under a sobering humility. Lloyd-Jones believed that this person is overwhelmed with a deep sense of his own personal unworthiness for such a high and holy task and is often hesitant to move forward to preach for fear of his own inadequacies. If you think you're adequate for this task, you have just disqualified yourself. That's an odd job. Would you want to go to a doctor like that? <laughs> says, you know, I know I'm inadequate for this job and I'm going to cut open your chest. Uh-uh, I'm going somewhere else. I need a second opinion. <laughs> but one of the qualifications is that you know you can't do it. I have never been able to. I can never change anybody's heart, including my own. No pastor can. No pastor in the world can make a church grow. No one can bring anyone to Christ. God's Holy Spirit does that. God does that. We are his instruments. We sow seeds. We plant. We water. But God makes things grow. And someone who, to whom God entrusts the ministry knows that to be true. And number six, he said, Corporate confirmation must come to the one called to preach. The man who is chosen by God to preach must be observed and tested by others in the church. Only then may he be sent from the church. Good things to keep in mind for someone to whom God has entrusted the ministry of his word. But then the Apostle Paul is going to look to his past. And it seems as if the Apostle Paul's past would disqualify him from the ministry of God's word. But in fact, it does the exact opposite because God now is going to say through the Apostle Paul that God has considered me trustworthy. And this one is strange. Verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. 
the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. I would send to you the first characteristic of someone to whom God, who God considers trustworthy is that they have an overwhelming sense of gratitude. I think one of the things, in fact, that you would find in any Christian who is walking with God is you'd find that we are people who live with an overwhelming sense of gratitude. We are being treated by God way better than we deserve. We deserve judgment. That's what we deserve. But Paul says, you know, he's going to then talk about, he said, God considered me uh, trustworthy. He says, I, I, I'm not self-appointed. God, God considered me trustworthy, and he considered me trustworthy to serve. That's my job. And he said, why would God pick someone to serve him who's, first of all, a blasphemer? A blasphemer is someone who defames God's name. Someone who, and in Old Testament times, if you were a blasphemer, that was punishable by death. Paul says, I should be killed. I blaspheme God's name. He said, then I was a browbeater and I was a bully. Why would you pick a bully, a browbeater, and a blasphemer and then say, God says, oh, you're trustworthy. That's a big mistake. But then Paul said, because I know who I am and I know who I was and I know what God has done in my life. That's why. Remember what Paul did? Paul was a man trained in, the, in, in Judaism as well as any person who's ever lived. He had the very finest of training. It would be like an Ivy League training. And he said, I, I come from parents, both of whom are Jewish. We spoke Hebrew in my home. I'm a descendant of the tribe of which, from which Israel's first king, Saul, comes from, and I'm named after him. I'm part of the most strict sect of my people, the Pharisees. I'm zealous for the law, and you can't find one thing wrong about me. Can you imagine saying that? That's what he said. And then he gave his life to arrest, persecute, torment, and kill Jewish people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. I gave my life to that. And God would pick this nut. Don't forget this principle. God considers people to be trustworthy communicators of his word who see their sin and grasp God's grace. If you don't see your sin and grasp God's grace, you are not qualified. You are not uniquely qualified to bring God's word. You'll screw it up for sure. One of the things that I find uh, so interesting when I, when I watch, um, especially basketball, but you find it with all sports. Um, notice, I love to notice what, what happens with people's hands when they score a basket, especially like a, a, a great dunk. Many of them go, you see them? They go like this. It's a very, you know, everyone, look, I did this. I did this. Now there's some of them, they, go, they don't go like that. They go, they point to the person who threw them the ball, the assist person. And occasionally you'll see someone go like that. But the main thing you see is this. Look at me. I did this. Occasionally, yeah, I couldn't have done it without them. Rarely, oh, God, God gave me this talent. You see, you are not qualified. Really, I would say to any of us to bring God's word if we don't have a sense of our own sin. 
and a sense of God's amazing grace. And in fact, the more you might have blown it, the more the deeper sense of God's grace you might have. The Apostle Paul, three times in the book of Acts, they'll take up almost three whole chapters. He gives his personal testimony. He never tires of, of, of telling his testimony. He said, I am responsible for killing a man whose faith is growing, glowing like the face of an angel. And as we're killing him, he's telling God to forgive the people who are killing him. I killed him. I was responsible. I am the main man who was giving permission to have him killed. I killed an angel and I killed Jesus. What do you think of that? Paul did not hesitate to share his past because he knew that his failures would allow others to have hope. Nor should we So often, when we want to tell people about our lives, we want to tell about our victories, how we walk with God and how wonderful things is and the sweet by and by and all this stuff. And the other and people are looking at us going, oh, I can't relate to that. Uh, that's baloney. But you see, that's, people, people don't often relate to us in our victories. They relate to us in our sin and our defeat. Don't hesitate to tell where you've been, where you are, what God has done. Because when you say, you know, I messed up too, pretty badly, then people say, oh, good, I can talk to this person. They understand. I listen to Charles Swindoll. I like listening to him. And I was listening to his, one of his sermons recently. And he said these words. He said, in truth, none of us are qualified to do this job. If anyone thinks they are, they're wrong. If anything, one thinks they're qualified to be a minister of the gospel, they aren't. I've quoted before, and I will quote again if I can, Oz Guinness, who made this statement that I love. He said, in matters of the spirit, nothing fails like success. On the other hand, in matters of the spirit, nothing succeeds like failure. Because failure is that which draws us to our knees, and when we're on our knees, We seek the grace of God. When we're successful, we typically do not. God's grace, thankfully, is greater than all our sin. And that's why Paul was trustworthy. But there's more to the story. Because now the Apostle Paul says, I am uniquely qualified to bring you the word because I am in my body. I embody a trustworthy saying. Here's what he says in verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He says, I embody. When when I Proclaim the word of God. I embody the trustworthy saying that God came in this world to save sinners. And do you see I left out verse 17? Because what's the only response that you can have when you recognize that you are an embodiment of a trustworthy saying? Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise. So all you can say is, oh God, why in the world would you do that? You get all the praise in the world because of what you've done. By the way, if you look in history, you'll see that most of the best known 
Christians in history all think the same thing. They all think they're the worst sinner. Martin Luther. Martin Luther would would kneel before his confessor, Staupitz, up to six hours every day confessing his sins. Until the exasperated Staupitz said to him, next time you come here, let it be for some big sin. Not all these little picadillos, not these little sins. Get out of here and go sin. So you've got something to confess. That's what his, his confessor said, because he could not get rid of this sense that he was, he was not clean in the eyes of a holy God. John Bunyan, who wrote one of the best-selling books in all of human history, at one time second only to the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress, he wrote an autobiography, the title of which is Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. That's his autobiography. John Newton who was a slave trader and came to Christ. And he realized that what he had done as a a young man and for years making lots of profit was one of the most inhuman things that could ever be done. And he wrote what is considered the greatest hymn ever written, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Perhaps the best of all is Charles Spurgeon called the Prince of the Preachers, the greatest of all preachers, and he, and he wrote, and he said, you know, I've never committed lots of big sins. But he said, I'm the worst of sinners, and here's why. Because I have received so much light. And that's the camp I'm in. I grew, many of you have had miserable backgrounds. You've had horrible things happen to you. But I had good parents. I was not abused. I was loved, cared for, talked the word of God. Some of you were abused. You didn't even have parents. You were never taught the word of God. But some of us have had a lot of light, and we haven't lived up to the light that we have received. And so we can honestly say, of all sinners, I am the worst. (laughs) Have you ever considered God's draft choices? Can you imagine if he was the owner of an NFL team? Here they are. I'm going to pick a drunkard. Let's go with Noah. And then I'm going to pick a whole family of people who are a bunch of big, fat liars. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and that family. And then I'm going to pick a murderer. How about Moses? And then I'm going to get my worst of all, my worst pick ever, David. He's going to be the quarterback. He's an adulterer, a murderer, a cover-up artist, a hypocrite, a poor father, and he does ungodly things resulting in the death of hundreds and thousands of people. I'm going to pick him. And then I'm going to pick Manasseh, who threw his own child into the flames as a child sacrifice. Maybe I'll pick Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons, fully demonized. I'll pick Peter a denier, and I think I'll pick Paul, a blasphemer, a killer, and a persecutor. I'll think, how well do you think you do on the, on the field with that crew? Ah, you do really well, because those are God's draft choices. There's nothing you've done, no place you've been, that there aren't some of God's most precious people who have been just the same place you've been, or worse, much worse. Well, it doesn't end there, because we talked about Paul's past and his present But Paul looks to the future because now he says, now, Timothy, I'm going to entrust this ministry that God has given to me to you. Here's how the passage ends. Verse 18, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command, or in the New American Standard Bible says, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, in keeping with the prophecies made about you, 
so that by recalling them, you might fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Here, the blasphemer is teaching them not to blaspheme. Paul says, Timothy, I have been entrusted this ministry by God, and now I'm entrusting it to you. And by the way, that's part of our major job as people who handle the word of God is to pass it on to others. That's our task. And he said, remember, Timothy, there are pe- you, you've been called by God. I was the one who was in, in, involved in bringing you to Christ. And the church in general has seen that God has put his hand on you. And there are prophets who have spoken that God has got a special place for you, a special work for you. Remember that, Timothy. And Timothy, remember, was a timid person. Very timid. He was, he was afraid. He was anxious. Don't forget that, Timothy. I now entrust this to you. Then Paul switches and he says, but don't be like Hymenaeus and Alexander, people who apparently were also in the church at one time who had gone off the rails or their ship had sunk because it said they had made a shipwreck of their faith and they are not what you're supposed to be. You see, God entrusts his word to us so that we can entrust God's word to others. So how do we end? Number one, here's an assignment, and it doesn't have to be hard. God has given every one of us a testimony. That's a story of what God has done in our lives. A story that may have started in the past, but is going on right now in the present. Could you tell your story to somebody this week? It doesn't have to be somebody you don't know or a stranger. Maybe just your spouse or a child or a parent. Just, just think about your story, what God is doing and has done in your life. Tell somebody that. Tell somebody your testimony. Number one. Number two, sharpen your focus on what to look for in the next pastor of this church. Namely, you want somebody who is uniquely qualified to bring you God's word. It doesn't matter how old or young they are. It doesn't matter how much education they have or don't have, how intellectual they are, how great a communicator they may be necessarily. What does matter is they recognize that their work is a sacred trust from God. They are not self-appointed. They are not self-motivated. They are not self-seeking, and they are not self-promoting. There's somebody who does understand their sin and grasps and will never let go of God's grace, which means you might want somebody who's failed. You don't want somebody who's only got a string of successes. That's not a person qualified to bring you the word of God, because they will probably be self-righteous. You want somebody who knows who they are. They know who they are not. They know they have been found by God, and they glory in God's grace without cheapening God's grace. Elizabeth Edwards said this, I think self-knowledge is the rarest trait in a human being. And Tony Schwartz said this, each of us shares an infinite capacity for self, uh, self-deception. self You want somebody who embodies the truth that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, not saints. God will entrust his word to someone who's committed to God's word and will, is willing to fight for it. And as you ponder what has made us qualified to be God's servants, 
I hope it will lead you to praise, because that's what it did to Paul. When he pondered what, why God would take a blasphemer and a bully like he was, a person who killed a man with the face of an angel and would turn him into the great apostle of Christianity, what can you do except say, praise God from whom all blessings flow? Or, as Paul said it, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.